Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Sometimes I feel like I want to commit my life to Jesus all over again whenever Emmanuel prays, man. I'm like, like it just empowers it. I'm like ready to roll. Thank you, Emmanuel, for blessing us. Uh, thank you, teachers and students, uh, you know, just, uh, just for your continual sacrifice, teachers, and pouring into the lives of the future generation. Um, thank you, students, for being willing to actually go, although maybe it's not so much willing, but you have to go, but for being humble and thankful uh, for your teachers. Do what you can to just serve um, your teachers this year, to honor them, to honor your parents. Um, you know, education is critical um, for us, even as um, just Christians, to make and send disciples and bring glory to Christ. Uh, but much love to all of you. My name is Lewis. I am the lead pastor here at City Awakening. So welcome to those of you who are here on site and to those of you watching online. We welcome you also. Uh, today we are going to be continuing our teaching series called Saturate, and it is all about how to live as instruments of grace. We're talking about what does it look like for us to live as instruments of grace in our everyday relationships and in our city. You know, we also want to give credit to Jeff Vanderstelt because we are using some of his small group study guide with our small groups, so we're taking some of the major concepts that he has in that study guide, and we're teaching on those things. The messages are our own, you know, we're, we're adjusting them and adapting them, but some of the major concepts are coming from him, so we want to give credit for that. Now, last week, what we talked about when we started this series off is, is we, andr- we addressed this question, what is the church? All right, what is the church? And we talked about how the church isn't a building, the church is a people. It's not a building, it's a people. It's people who have been gathered, not by race, ethnicity, nationality, or any other affinity except for by the grace of Jesus Christ. We have been gathered by Jesus, we have been saved by Jesus, gathered by Jesus, and sent out into our cities in order to live as instruments of grace. We have been sent out by Jesus to go into our cities and to live as everyday ministers for the transformation of the world. All right. It's an incredible gift that Jesus has given us and an opportunity for us to participate with him in his redemptive work that he's doing in the world. So we don't, um, we, the church isn't a building, the church is a people. We, we don't go to church, we are the church. This is what we talked about last week, and today what we're going to talk about is how Jesus is the better Savior. Jesus is the better Savior. He's the better Savior for my life. He's the better Savior for your life. He's the better Savior for the very lives of the people that we're trying to reach in this city. Jesus is the better Savior. This is true for both believers and for skeptics because the reality is is that all of us, believers and skeptics, we all have certain things that we need saving from. All of us have certain things in our lives that we want to change about our lives, but we've been powerless to do so. I mean, what are some of those things for you? What are some of those things in your life that you need saving from? What are some of the things in your life that you've wanted to change and you know you need to change, but your willpower has failed you to do? You know, maybe you, you might wrestle with some, you know, anger issues or whatever. You know, maybe, maybe you're kind of a very reactive person. You know, you're very quick to erupt like a volcano, and, and you know that that's not right, and you want to change that about your life. You know, maybe it's, it has to do with maybe more of a, a, a habitual thing, maybe like an addiction that you're dealing with in your life, and you know that it's not good for you, and you want to change that. But you've been powerless to change it on your own strength. 
Now, maybe it's about you being, you know, a, a people pleaser. Now, you're a people pleaser and you always feel like you're trying to gain other people's approval for your life and you feel like you have to live up to that. Or maybe you have a fear of letting people down. I've talked with this about the church before, how, you know, I grew up and people were always telling me that I'm going to be a success and no matter what it was that I did, you know, if it was sports, I'm going to be a success in that. If it was, you know, to be an attorney, a success in that, even being a pastor. And so I always have this fear of, of not, you know, uh, of not like fear of man or fear of woman, but it's a fear of letting down man or woman. It's a fear of disappointing all the people who my entire life have told me that I'm going to be a success. And the Lord's done some work on my heart on that, but the reality is that sometimes it can creep, creep itself back in again. What is it that you feel like you need changed about your life, but your willpower has failed you in? What is it that you need to be saved from? Today we're going to talk about how Jesus is the better Savior. He's the better Savior for, for your life. He's the better Savior for my life. He's the better Savior for the very people whose lives we're trying to reach, family, friends, people who don't know Christ yet. And this is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're new to your Bible, 1 Corinthians will be in the last quarter part of your Bible. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Title of today's message is, Jesus is Better. And for those of you taking notes, this is the big idea. Rely on Jesus instead of trying to be Jesus. All right, that's the big idea. Rely on Jesus instead of trying to be Jesus. And this is critical because, you know, yes, we can say that, you know, the church isn't a building, it's a people. You know, Jesus gathers, gathers us and then sends us out. But if we don't get this right, if Jesus isn't the better Savior for our lives, then what's going to happen is we're going to go out into the world, we're going to be trying to save ourselves from certain things, and then we're also going to try and be the Savior for other people. We're going to try and point them to other things rather than Jesus saving lives. So we need to start here in this. Once we understand the church now that Jesus scattered, gathered us and then scattered us, now we need to go to relying on Jesus instead of trying to be Jesus in our lives and in the lives of other people. All right, so let me give you a little bit of context here. Uh, the Apostle Paul is the one who uh, wrote 1 Corinthians, and he's, writing, he's one of the strongest Christian leaders that we've had in church history. At one point, he wasn't a Christian, actually murdered Christians, and then he ends up meeting Jesus. Jesus changed his life, little synopsis of him, incredible story, becomes one of the strongest Christian leaders we have in church history. Well, he's writing this letter to Christians who are living in Corinth, and he's writing this to address some issues that are going on within the Corinthian church, but also to teach people how to walk faithfully in their relationship with Jesus. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is an incredible chapter where Paul starts to develop a case for the resurrection of Jesus. In a Greco-Roman society, they didn't believe in a physical bodily resur resurrection, and so so what, they're, what he's doing is, is he's laying out a case for that. Uh, we're not going to get into that as much because I've preached on that before in the past, but what I want us to look at in chapter 15 is Paul's explanation of what the gospel is. So what we're going to learn when we study this is, number one, we're going to learn what the gospel is. He's going to answer this very clearly for us. And then he's going to teach us three things really about Jesus. We're going to learn three things. We're going to learn, number one, Jesus did it better. We're going to learn Jesus does it better. And Jesus will make it all better. Okay, for those of you taking notes, Jesus did it better, Jesus does it better, and Jesus will make it better. Overall, Jesus is the better Savior. This is what we're going to learn, so let's check it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4 states this. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
All right, so notice that he's talking about the gospel here. And what's he say? He says, I want to make the gospel clear to you. To me, this is one of the most clear explanations we have of the gospel in the entire Bible. He says, I want to make it clear for you what the gospel is. And then over the next several verses, what he's going to do is he's going to explain that, and he's going to basically teach us three primary parts to the gospel. There's more parts to the gospel than this. We're going to only have time to hit these three. But he's going to explain to us what the gospel is. There's going to be three parts, and here's the first. Verse 3. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ. That Christ. Okay, so there's the first part of the gospel. The first part of the gospel is that the gospel is all about Jesus. Our gospel is all about Jesus. In fact, the Greek word for gospel is, it means uh, joyful news, good news. Historically, we know that it was a word that was used, gospel was used in order to make a big announcement about a life-changing event that was taking place, like maybe to crown a king, a new king for, for the, the nation, or it was um, to celebrate a great victory, to announce a great victory that had taken place in battle over an invading army that was coming in. The people would consider it to be joyful, good gospel news when they would hear these, these things that were being said. But see, what makes Jesus such joyful, good gospel news is that he came not to be another religious teacher. He came to be our Savior. That's what's the good news about Jesus. He didn't come to be, this is what makes Christianity so unique from every other religion in the world. It's that what you get with Christianity is a Savior, not another religious teacher. In every other religion, you get a religious teacher, but not a Savior. In Buddhism, you get Siddhartha Gautama Buddha. In, in uh, Islam, you get Muhammad. In atheism, you get Richard Dawkins. And they are all teaching various different versions of the same thing, though. And it's all about you being the savior of your life. In some form or some... This, whenever I have a Jehovah's Witness or something like that come to my doorsteps, I always ask people this question, even if they're trying to you know, share with me their own faith or not. I just always, what is your gospel? What is your God? What, how do I get saved in your faith? And it will always be some version of you doing the work to save yourself. Always. Important question for you. How is it that you get saved from this world that we're living in and from this life? That we're, okay, so, so in Buddhism, it's follow the eightfold path. In Islam, it is follow the five pillars of truth. In Richard Dawkins' theology, it is, you got to escape your God delusion. Okay? It's only when you do these things that you will now be able to be saved. It's only by, by you saving yourself, by doing these things, that you will be able to escape this hurting world and to finally have joy for your life. It's all just different versions of the same exact thing. It's about you being a savior. It's about what you do. Christianity is the only faith in the world where it is not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has already done. Okay? It is all about Jesus and relying upon him. He lived the perfect life that we have not lived, and then he died the death that we deserve to die for our sins, which Paul gets into next. So the first part is it's all about Jesus. Here Again, verse 3, For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Okay, so there's that second part of the gospel. First part is that it's all about Jesus. Second part is it's about how Jesus died for our sins. 
He died for the forgiveness of our sins. For for us, you know, a lot of times when we're trying to do the good works, we're trying to do the good deeds, and we keep failing to live those things out, the list, the 10 steps to a better you or whatever, it should be a reality check to us that, that we need a Savior. The Greek word that that Paul uses here in this verse is hooper, H-U-P-E-R. And it stands for on behalf of, in place of. This is why sometimes in our church we'll say one of the shortest things about the gospel, we'll say Jesus stood in our place. See, that's the gospel. It's that Jesus stood on behalf of us. He stood in place of us on the cross to die the death that we deserve to die for our sins. He did this. He took the punishment that we deserve for our sins. See, humanity's core issue is sin. It is that we, we would rather live for ourselves than live a life for God. And this self-centeredness, this meism that we live by, ends up bleeding out in all different areas of our lives. You know, we start to uh, be, become so self-centered that we'll, you know, lie, we'll, we'll you know, get angry in, in sinful ways, you know, we'll hurt other people with our words, with slander, with gossip. You know, end up beating people down, hurting them, or we end up taking more than what we need in life instead of giving away some of what we need to help others in life, and the list can go on. Sin is what is destroying my life. It is what is destroying your life. It is what's destroying our relationships in our world. And if you think to yourself that, well, no, it's not that big of a deal. You know, my life, you know, my sins haven't done that. You know, it's not. Uh, then, you know what? You just proved you're, you're a part of the problem with your own self-righteous pride. See, you're a part of the problem too. So am I. We can't sit here and say that, you know, we're not a part of the destruction in our relationships. Can't say we're not a part of the destruction in our city. And in our world, because when we sin, it is a part of all that destruction. Sin is what is, is messing up our world and why we need a Savior. Jesus comes to save us, to take upon the punishment that we deserve for our sins, but he also comes to transform our hearts into being more like him. See, everybody wants free will, and we all talk about that. Right? We, I mean, we want to, especially as Americans, right? We, we love our free, we want free will. Nothing wrong with free will. God doesn't have a problem with us making choices, okay? Nothing wrong. But the problem that it does exist when we have free will is there is sinful destruction that comes about because of our free will. And so what is God to do? God is going to have to make a decision. He either has to save us or he has to send us to an eternal hell so that the destruction of sin doesn't last forever. And I know we're in Orlando and I don't know, I know we, we don't like talking about eternal hell, right? Let's just, let's just keep everybody happy. But this is the reality that hell has to exist. Because if hell doesn't exist, and if God doesn't deal with our sin, and the destructiveness of sin, then we don't have a just God. We don't have a good God. We don't have a loving God. Because how could a just, good, loving God allow for sin and the destruction of sin to go on unanswered? How can he allow all that to take place and not do anything about it? See, if we just have a God who ignores sin and just overlooks sin and, and all the destruction and harm that that's coming, then heaven isn't going to be heaven. It's going to be hell. The, heaven won't be any better off than what this world is. In fact, it'll be worse because it'll be for eternity. God has to deal with sin. He can't allow it to go on forever or else heaven isn't going to be heaven. It's going to be hell. And this God that we define as just, good, loving, isn't any of those things. 
But see, he is those things. Which is why what happens, either you and I have to pay for our sins in hell, or Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. But either way, sin has to be dealt with. And the good news of the gospel, the great news of the gospel, is that Jesus came to die for our sins on the cross and to transform our hearts over time to be more Christ-like like him. Okay? That's the good news of the gospel. Now, it's a brilliant plan if you really think about it. It's a brilliant plan compared to every other religion in the world. And here's why I'm saying that. Because Jesus could have very easily came back and said, you know, let me give you another list of things you need to do. You know, just like every other, let me give you another list. But Jesus knew not to do that because he knew we would just fail to live out that list, right? So instead of him doing that, instead of him coming to give us a list of 10 steps to a better you, he comes and he does what you can't do. He comes and does what I can't do. He comes and does what our willpower has failed us to do, has failed us in doing. He comes to live the perfect life that we have not lived on our behalf, and then he comes to die the death that we deserve to die for our sins, and then over time, he is transforming our hearts and our lives into be more loving and Christ-like like him. Brilliant plan, because we would have failed if it was any other plan than that. We need him to come down and to pick us up and to save us and to take us to heaven. Which leads to our third point that Paul's about to lay out here which is the resurrection of Jesus, which proves all this to be true. Again, verse 3, For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about how he died for our sins. And it's all about how he rose again on the third day to prove that it's all true. Like the resurrection proves that it's all true. It proves that Jesus really can forgive us of our sins. It proves that Jesus really can take us to a better life beyond this life with him if we put our faith and trust in him. See, everybody in this world wants a better life. I mean, skeptic, if you're a skeptic, if you're an atheist, you know, here or online watching, you know, everybody wants a better life, including skeptics. I mean, I am yet to meet a single person in my life who's like, yeah, no, you know, I just want to have a miserable life, you know? I just, I just want, you know, Eeyore, right? Okay, Winnie, whatever, Winnie Pooh, right? Yeah, I, just, I, want neck, I want this upcoming week to be more miserable than last week was. Some of y'all are laughing because you're like, yeah, this, week, this past week was miserable, right? I don't want that. We are wanting to live a better life. We are wanting to step into a, a better life than the life that we're currently living. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the one who can give us that better life. And the resurrection proves it. Listen, this is why we love superhero movies so much. And the reason why we love movies like, you know, Star Wars or Endgames, you know, or all the Marvel spinoffs is because it is telling a story that our hearts can relate with, that our hearts can connect with, which is a story. It's a, re- it's a saving story, right? It's a, it's a redemptive story. It's a story of a, of a rescue plan of, of somebody coming to save us from the evil, suffering world that we're living in. In fact, I recently had somebody, we had this conversation, and it was interesting because I never heard somebody say this before, but I agree with them, right? They said to me, you know, I even like it when the villains win sometimes. I was like, wait, whoa, wait, what? Where are you going with that one, huh? Let's see. I like it when the villain, you know, Thanos won. Here's why. Because that is the reality of life sometimes. Sometimes, evil does seem to win some battles. Sometimes, 
the villains do seem to win some battles. And that's a real picture of life. But here's the good news of the gospel. It's that in this life, yeah, we may lose some battles, but we're not going to lose the war. Amen? And I'm saying, listen, some of y'all have lost some battles this week. I don't know what it is. I don't know your story. I don't know what you went through this week. But some of you all are busted up this week. You've either been busted up because of words that people have said to you, busted up emotionally, maybe you beating yourself up. I don't know what it is, but some of us, we've lost some battles this week. And take courage in the good news of the gospel that you will not lose the war. Why? Because Jesus has risen from the dead and he proved already victory over death itself. In the end, we win. Amen? Listen, you can praise God for that. But let's be clear, it's not winning because you're so great. It's winning because we have a great Savior who came to live, to die, and to rise again for the forgiveness of our sins and to invite us into that relationship with him through faith. See, this is what the gospel is. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him dying for our sins. And it's all about him rising again to prove that it's all true. But there is so much more to the gospel than this. In fact, you can go to our website and you can listen. We did an entire series on the gospel. But I want to be able to show you just a couple more things that, that we see in, in, in this text. And I want to go back to verses 1 to 2 because I think we learned some more things about the gospel, in particular about Jesus and his character, who he is and what he's done. And, and I think there are things that can apply to our lives. If you look at verses 1 to 2, I intentionally skipped it because I wanted to come back to here. But look at what it says. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. Notice that he says we receive the gospel, we stand in the gospel, we're continually being saved and transformed by the gospel. Meaning it's past, present, and future, meaning we don't ever move on from the gospel. This was a huge growing for me when I first became a Christian because I used to think the gospel was just about salvation. No, it's not just about salvation. It's about your present and future transformation. We need the gospel not just for our salvation. We need it for every day of our life, for the transformation. We need Jesus every day, present and future. This is why one of the things that we say here often in our church is that the gospel is more than a way to eternal life. The gospel is your life. In other words, we need the gospel, we need Jesus every day of our life. One of the examples I give, if you ever see our, um, a lot of the people who are serving um, in our church, you'll see them wearing a shirt with, with glasses on it. It's because we'll, sometimes we'll talk about how, hey, put on your gospel glasses. Well, what does that mean and why do we say that? In John 10, 10, Jesus said that I came not just to give them life, but to give them life more abundantly, right? In him, more abundant life. So that abundant life is in him. It's when we see him, when we're seeing everyday life through the lens of him, through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Jesus. And so the example we give when we say, hey, put on your gospel glasses is this. If you're sitting down, how many of y'all seen a 3D movie before? Yeah? Okay, you see a 3D movie, what happens? I, I get tempted every time. What, what do you do? Whoop. Whoop, right? I want to see. I want to see what it looks like. What happens? You can still see the movie, right? You can still hear. You can still right? listen and watch it, but it's blurry. And so how do you get the full effects of the 3D movie? What do you do? You put the glasses back on. 
right? You take them off, it's blurry. You can still enjoy it. You're still seeing the movie from beginning to end, but you got to put them on the scene. Well, in the same way in our relationship with Jesus, we are guaranteed eternal life in heaven because of Christ and what he did for us on the cross, but sometimes we're going to go through life and we're going to take that gospel glasses off, the lens of the gospel of Jesus off, and then that's when things are going to get a bit blurry. You know, we're not going to experience the abundantly full life yet. It's not Jesus' fault. It's not that the promise isn't true because it is. It's that we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And maybe this past week that's happened to you. I know it's happened to me. It happens to me daily. There are moments when I take my eyes off to Christ and, and I have to remind myself, hey, put the glasses back on, man. View this situation. View my life through the lens of Christ. Jesus, we need him for past, for present, and future. And this is what Paul is saying here. And and we are learning three things, I think, about Jesus here from Paul. Number one, Jesus did it better. Past tense. Jesus did it better, past tense. Notice what the text says. It says we received the gospel. Past tense. And so what he's saying there is that if you received the gospel, then you have been saved, not by what you do, but you've been saved by what Jesus has already done. You are already loved. You are already forgiven. You are already accepted by Jesus. You're accepted by him because he's already lived the perfect life that you have not lived on your behalf. And then he died the death that you deserve to die on the cross in your place. Jesus already did it better. Jesus has already lived a more holy life than you. He's already lived a more perfect life than you. He has already lived a better life than you. So you can rest on his perfection instead of tearing yourself up and beating you down, uh, beating yourself up on your, on your sinful imperfections. He's given you that gift. I mean, breathe out a bit, Christians. We get to breathe out. It doesn't mean we take life real lackadaisical and I don't ever have to follow Jesus. Then No, I, like I want to follow Jesus because of my love for Jesus. I'm not following him and wanting to be obedient to him in order to get saved. It is in response to my salvation out of a love for him because of what he's done for me on the cross. And so let me ask you this, all right? Let me, let me ask you this question. Have you been living your life trying to outperform the holiness of Jesus? See, this is, this is dangerous for us as Christians because sometimes we do. Have you been trying to live your life in a manner that, that where you're trying to outperform the holiness of Jesus, you're beating yourself up over a particular sin that you've committed, or you feel like God is going to love you less when you sin? You need to remember that Jesus already did it better than you. He already walked a more holy life than you. Now, are you wrestling, wrestling with maybe, you know, trying to be your own savior when it comes to overcoming a particular sin in your life, and you've been failing to do that? So you need to remember that Jesus resisted sin better than you, and he already died for that sin on the cross for you. Are you maybe wrestling with trying to be the savior for other people, and you're just burnt out and weary from trying to fix everybody's problems See, some of you have that, right? Some of you, I mean, some of you may be, you know, you may be the family hero. 
Or you just may be good with dealing with conflict and everybody's always coming to you for questions and everybody's always coming to you for answers. I'm telling you, I know way more about vaccines over the past couple of weeks than I've ever wanted to know because I'm constantly getting hit up on this stuff. People are constantly going to you maybe and you're just weary from trying to fix everybody's problems all the time. You need to remember that the resurrection of Jesus proves that he has the, the better power to be able to fix people's problems than you could ever have. So you need to rest on Jesus and what he did already because he's already walked a more holy, more perfect, more better life than you. So what could you ever do to improve what he's already done? All right, Jesus did it better. Number two, Jesus does it better. Jesus does it better. So Jesus did it better. Jesus does it better. And if you remember, Paul says that we received the gospel, but he also says that, that we are standing in the gospel, continually being saved by the gospel, meaning the implications is that, the, that, that this is past, present, and future implications. Now that we need Jesus to do a work in our hearts right here, right now, in the present, but as well as in the future. We need him constantly. We need him daily in our lives. Jesus does it better and will continually do it better. We need him to save us. We need him to do a work on our hearts. And we need him to do a work through us as we go out into the world. If not, we're relying upon ourselves. We're relying upon our own strength and our own power and eventually we will fail. See, Jesus did not come to die for your sins and then just say, oh, yeah, all right, there you go. Go figure it out on your own now. Right? I did this for you and now I'm out. You know, go figure out life on your own. No, when Jesus died for our sins, he also empowers us with the Holy Spirit to live a new life, a transformed and transforming life with him. And so ask yourself this question, right? Are you dealing with a pattern of sin in your life? You know, maybe a certain sin in your life has just been a pattern for you or maybe an addiction for you, and, and you're at that point where you feel like, man, I, I'm just never going to be able to break this pattern. Like, there's no hope. I'm just, I've tried, but I'm never going to be able to break this pattern in my life. And, you know, I'm never going to be able to have, you know, a new pattern, new desires, new motivation, a new life. See, so don't try to change your life without Jesus. Instead, say, Jesus, listen, I recognize that you're the better Savior than me, so, so will you help to change my heart? Will you help to change my heart? Will you help to change my pattern? Would you help to change my desires and my motivations? And, you know, will you help to reveal some of the things in my life that need to change? And most importantly, will you walk with me as I make those changes? You know, sometimes God will remove things like you in an instant. Sometimes it takes time and progression because he's teaching you to be dependent upon him. So if you keep stumbling two steps forward, one step back, don't give up. Just keep asking Jesus, help pick me up again and help me to keep moving forward because he is willing to walk with you both now and in the future for all of eternity. City Awakening, Jesus has risen from the dead, which means that he is alive, which means the Holy Spirit is now working in you and through you. Right here, he's willing to work in you and through you. Jesus' life-giving power can meet you right here in your present weakness and help you to overcome sin. 
Jesus' life-giving power can meet you right here in your brokenness, in your loneliness, or whatever it is, right? And he can comfort you. He can help to pick you up again when you're down. Jesus' life-giving power can help to transform your heart and your relationships. Jesus' life-giving power can help to guide your life, your daily life, even as you walk in everyday life as an everyday minister. Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether I turn to the right or the left, my ears will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. You have and I have, if we are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit right here, right now, in our present day, willing to help guide and direct our steps. And so we rely on Jesus because Jesus not only did it better, he does it better, and he's willing to walk with us here in the present as well as in the future. Your alternative is to walk this life without him. That's the alternative, and we already determined that that's just not going to end well because there are some things that you are not going to be able to save yourself from, and me too. But Jesus did it better, does it better. And then the third one is number three, Jesus will make it better. Jesus will make it all better. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, he put death to death. When Jesus rose from the dead, he put death to death. He put death in a tomb. Jesus came out of the tomb and put death in a tomb. Jesus made death look like a nap. He made death look like a nap. And if Jesus has the very power to be able to remove the sting of death, then it means that he has the very power to remove the curse of sin so that he can make our lives and our world much more better with him than we could ever possibly dream or imagine. If Jesus has the power to raise us from the dead, to bring death to life, And he has the power to transform our lives and our world. And this is what he's going to do. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to remove the curse of sin and death, never to return again. He's going to make it all better. Listen, Revelation 21 verse 4 states this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. You know what that means? That means when Jesus Christ returns, cancer will be gone. When Jesus returns, brain tumors will be gone. Dementia will be gone. Cardiac issues, strokes, heart attacks, gone. Arthritis, gone. Back pain, gone. Having to wake up multiple times to go to the bathroom, gone. COVID-19, everybody said? Gone. Hallelujah, right? Amen. Can't wait for that. Says that, you know, sickness is going to be gone. There's going to be no more sickness, no more death, no more mourning, no more funerals over the people that we love. Man, I'm so tired of funerals. I love people and I want to be there for people in the funeral, but I'm tired of having to deal with mourning for myself, for the people that I love. I don't want to bury another person. When I first became a, a pastor early in my ministry, I never thought being a pastor I'd have to bury one of my best friends. And to do his funeral. I never thought I'd have to do the funeral of a friend of mine who had to bury his own baby. After holding the baby in their arms for three hours. I'm tired of that. 
When Jesus returns, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more. It's going to be gone. So there's going to be no more weeping. No more crying over depression. No more crying over loneliness. No more mental health. No more temptation. No more sin. It'll all be gone. Why? Why? Because Jesus will have returned and make it, made it all better. Jesus will have returned, and you know what's going to happen? You want to know why? What makes heaven so great? It isn't all the things that we get from heaven. It's that we get to be in the very presence of Jesus, and the radiance of his glory is going to shine so fully that those things cannot exist in heaven with him. What's going to eradicate sin, sickness, suffering, sadness, all those things is going to be the very presence and glory of Jesus fully radiating throughout the world. And this is what we have to look forward to when we put our faith and trust in him. Jesus is going to make it all better for those who put their faith and trust in him. You looking forward to that? I am. I can't wait. And so we need to rely on Jesus because he did it better, because he does it better, and because he's going to make it all better in the end. So look, this is the big idea. The big idea is rely on Jesus instead of trying to be Jesus. There is no better Savior that is greater than Jesus Christ. No one. Not your spouse. For those of you who are single, not a future spouse. Not your children, not your career, not your education, not your athletics. None of those things can ever save you and sustain you and change your life like Jesus can. Here's the thing. You know it's true because we have chased it all We've done it all. We've been duped by it all, thinking that it will save us and satisfy us, but it never does. Jesus is the only one who can save us and satisfy us eternally. You need Jesus for what you've done. You need Jesus for what you're doing, and you need Jesus for what you will do. You and I both, we need Jesus because we can't save ourselves. He's the better Savior. City Awakening, we need to remember this as we seek to live as instruments of grace in our city. We need to remember that as we step foot, foot from here today and we go out into our city, we need to remember instead of trying to be Jesus in our city, we need to rely on Jesus as we live in this city. We need to remember that we need Jesus to transform our hearts, to do a great transforming work in us so he can do a tra great transforming work through us and reach the very people that we're trying to reach in our city. Jesus has the power to raise the dead to life, which means he has the very power to transform your life and the life of your friends. He has the power to transform their lives too. Okay, but it's not going to happen by us relying upon our own strength. We need him to do a work in us. We need him to do a work through us. We need to remember that Jesus is better, did it better, and will make it all better. He wants 
to change your life. He wants to change my life. He wants to change the lives of our friends. He doesn't just want to make your life better. He wants to make their life better too. He wants to make us and our world much more wonderful like him. So let us rely on his grace. Jesus, we thank you so much for your great love. We thank you that at any moment you could have abandoned us. You could have said, forget this world that has turned their back on you. You could have said, forget me for turning my back on you. But instead you said, no, I, I love my creation and I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be murdered by my creation, on my creation, to show my great love for my creation. Jesus, I pray for the person in the room or watching online that does not have a relationship with you, that today would be the day where they give up trying to be their own savior. And that they would say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. And that, Jesus, you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit and lead them to a great church that can help to pour into them and equip them. I pray for the believer who's just been busted up trying to be their own savior this week. Jesus, would you be with them right now? Show them that you're here. Show them that you love them. Show them that you're willing to be here to comfort them and to care for them. Jesus, help us to go out into the world and to show people that you truly are the better Savior. You did it better. You're doing it better. You will make it all better because, Jesus, you're just better. You're better Savior. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. We honor you with this song. Amen. Let us stand and worship Jesus. Jesus.